Hi, welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. Uh, This is not an episode I wanted to be doing. Um, My friend Tim Landers from the bands Transit, Mr. Off and On, and Cold Collective sadly passed away this weekend. And I wanted to put this podcast up because it hasn't been up because it was from a podcast I did called Jesse Cannon Talks To that was short-lived. But it always got a really big reaction. Um, people would email me asking me for it when it got taken down because I stopped doing this podcast and I thought it was so crazy because people would write me and say the things he said in this podcast were so important to them. They wanted to listen again. And that's a lot of what made me want to keep going with podcasts and why I do this. And, um, Tim's really insightful and listening back to this today. Um, I really wanted to be out in the world because he was such a special person. I've tried to do this intro too many times and not cry, so I'm just going to give up and just say this was uh, from right after he departed the band Transit and was making music with Off and On and Cold Collective and... Uh, he was in a really good point, and recently it seemed like he was at a really good point too, so this comes really, really suddenly. Um, I hope you enjoy it and find the insight I did in listening back to it today, and I thank you for listening to it. Um, rest in peace, Tim. Jesse, I just want to welcome you to my new podcast. Um, I also want to apologize because there was a weird audio problem with Tim's feed, and so there's a little bit of a crackle on this episode. But I hope you guys can grin bear through it as I figure out how to get this podcast foolproofed. And I think this is a really awesome interview, so I really hope you enjoy it. So I'm here with Tim Landers. We've known each other for about five years, and I first met him when I got to work with him in his band Transit, uh, producing a record called Keep This to Yourself, and we did one other record after that. Yep. He's also played in bands like Off and On and Misser, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him is because I've always been astounded by how good he is at being creative and how when crunch time comes in the studio, there's so many people when I turn to the band and I say, this part's fucked up, you know, we're missing <laughs> something. something. <laughs> Tim maintains his cool and he comes up with a, a great idea pretty fast. And Aside from that, what always really impressed me, too, is how prolific he was and how good he was at just getting the job done of songwriting and knowing that you need to write a lot of crap to have something good and was never scared to throw some of those babies down the river, let them set sail for another day and take the good ones and present them to the public. So I thought it would be very beneficial for everybody to see this. And I think one of the other interesting things about Tim is he has these three projects and they're all pretty different. And I think it's very interesting how people sort their creative endeavors, especially when they're one of the big creative forces. And, you know, these songs start with Tim a lot of the time. And um, 
I wanted to find out how he does it. So here's Tim. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for the kind words. You're making me blush over here. Oh, uh, well, you, you know, it, it, it's easy when it's true. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So man. to get started, so I kind of mentioned it. You're like all over the map in the creativity thing these days. Like um, off and on, sounds nothing like transit, misser. Somewhere closer to transit, but not like off and on. Mm -hmm. um, so I find a thing of like when somebody's diverse in music, do you see a correlation in the music you love across all the genres? Because you obviously have diverse tastes. Is there like something you continually see in music that like draws you to it? Um, Just you mean in the music I write or music in general? Well, I wanted to get into the music you write after that, but um, when you hear a song that you love, is there like a common correlation in it? I am kind of funny when I find a song that I love because I I always joke about it, like with my with my girl and my friends and stuff. I say like I kind of listen to music like a fourteen year old girl. <laughs> like okay, no, 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 I, I'm with you there too. I kind of do yeah. too. Oh no, I I probably learned it from you years ago. But that was, <laughs> that's the thing is when I. I always loved music from a young age, but when I got older and when writing music really became my life um, and like my focal point of every day, I, uh, I I I really grew to appreciate songs. Like I just I I love songs. I'm just obsessed with them. Like the way that they work, the way parts interweave with each other, the way they sound, the way they make you feel. Like it's just it's everything to me every day. Mm -hmm. And when I find a song nowadays that I love with with all the different shit going on and all the the hundreds and thousands of bands and and artists, um, I'll find a song that I like that hits me, and it probably happens like. Once a week, once every two weeks, I find the song that I'm like, dude, this is the best song I've ever heard. And, <laughs> like, you know how extreme I am with things like that? Yeah, no, no, totally. I'm the yeah. same way. You know, I, I, To me, there's only two things in the world, the best and the worst. Mm -hmm. There's no middle ground. Like, I either love it or I hate it. Yeah, so I'll, and I'll find that song and it, it will really... Uh, it will really speak to me or or I'll really just connect with it somehow, like on a musical level or lyrical level or, or for some strange reason, I connect with it. And then I will proceed to listen to it every day, way too many times a day. And just I, it's it's because I, I, I think the the older I got, I realized that the reason why I do it is like without actually admitting it to myself or realizing I was doing it, I. I'd study the song in that way, I guess. Like, I just, I play it, play it, play it until I can't listen to it anymore. You know what I mean? And I think that it's just my way of, of finding why I love it so much and why it made me step back for a second and be like, damn, this song's awesome, you know? And uh, that's, it's just, it's it's weird on the surface. Like, like, if you were around me or something and you just, like, heard me always, like, bumping the same song or these same, like, four songs, like... It, to like somebody outside of my brain, it's probably very strange, but to me, it just it just makes sense. It just it feels right when I do that, and uh, I guess it just kind of gets imprinted into me. And I like I like kind of embracing that in just the way that I write music. And then maybe when I'm working on a song down the line or something, I'm like, oh well, there was this part in this song with like this cool chord change or something, and it's just kind of there, you know. Like I just I could already feel it like as a part of me, you know what I mean? If that doesn't sound completely freaky and hippie. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's not even hippie. Like, it's, you know, it's like funny. It's like the same thing that, like, 
You're doing what you're studying chemistry. You're just figuring out the equation of how this element is made. And then later on, when you want to do some crazy concoction, like, you know, if you, let's say you're designing the new Viagra, you go, <laughs> hey, these chemicals do this to somebody. I'll combine this with this and this. And then you have an even better boner. <laughs> Great metaphor, Jesse. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh... No, so that you talked about how you bring that into your songs. You're constantly cataloging all these things you like about music and then figuring out how you implement that into your music. Yes. Do you have a certain example of something that's like, this song was so different compared to the song you wrote from it, but you brought something into it? Let me think. I do like so many songs start with that for me. Yeah, I, I know this is a hard, hard one for me too. Because even as like on productions, there's times where it's like, yeah, I stole. You know, today I was doing a hardcore song. And I stole a delay from an Iggy Azalea song. <laughs> uh, something. I'm fancy like changed. that. I love it. I love it. Uh, let me here. I'm pulling up a list to mine. Okay, here. Yeah, actually, this is a great example. Um, so with uh. Like like you said, one of my projects called Off and On, which is uh, it's easier for me to think about because it's the most recent thing I've been working on. But um, mm -hmm. on our first EP uh, called Good Talk, there's a song called Want To But Won't. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And uh, it's like on the EP, it's probably like the most hip hop sounding song. Like uh, it's kind of got a little thug vibe in there. But yeah. uh, it uh, so that song came... Um, I, I woke up one more. I do a lot of writing in the morning. It just uh, kind of it's when my head's the clearest. It's it's I do I do writing in the morning and late at night. But morning is usually when ideas come for me. And uh, I remember, it's important. It's important to learn that. Did you always know that? No. So I think that that's the thing. Is like so I I'm the opposite of you. Is that um in the morning I take care of all the bullshit and like when I'm like writing a book. Yeah. Um. I like you know I don't sometimes start till like 8 p.m. till the emails wind down and I work all into the night when no one bothers me and my brain works great at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to find that, though. That's Everybody's different. You can't force one thing onto it. You can't say, like, there's so many things we could do in this world. It's like, wow, my favorite so songwriter does this. It's like, yeah, don't do that with when you work well. Yeah, just work I've, well when I've, you work well. I've tried that. It just doesn't work. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, so this this specific song called What's Want To But Won't, that morning, I remember uh, I woke up, and usually I wake up, make a cup of coffee, put a record on, and I put on Nevermind mm -hmm. by Nirvana, mm -hmm. and I was listening to it, and uh, I was just like, oh, dude, like, it's like what happens once a month. I'm like, dude, I want to write a song that sounds like Nirvana, like, <laughs> you know, like everybody. And then, uh, so I picked up an acoustic guitar, and um, I was just like jamming this riff, this like really, really grungy, dark sounding riff, like kind of sounded like a cross between like aneurysm and fucking an old no warning song and like <laughs> nice yeah and then uh so i was just like i put the guitar down i like recorded it on a voice memo because that's what i always do because i'm such a scatterbrain i need to to just make sure i record it somehow like i have it somewhere or else i forget it and it's gone forever and i'm mad at myself but um so i did that and then I took a shower, too much information, but it's part of the story. Yeah. I took a shower and um, I was kind of thinking of a melody for it. And I was like, oh, like I really like these chords. Like it's kind of, because I always, 
I find when I get older, you get you get stuck writing songs with the same chords, and I do yeah. that, I do that a lot, and it's it's always hard to try and push yourself to get out of that without like <sighs> getting too weird and trying. Well, it's, to- it's so hard too because you love those chords and you love the way they sound, and you're like, all right, how do I find something else I love as much as this <laughs> yeah. chord? But that's who makes. That's what makes you the melodic person you are. Yeah, I it's mean, like the chords you love. If you if you listen to uh, any of my bands, you can very much so tell which chords I love. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I was like, oh, I really want to try because this is this is different. I really want to pursue this idea. Like these chords, they're they're different. They're a little out there for me. So I um I brought it to my little workstation that I have in here that I'm sitting at. I just have like a kind of home studio in here with a little Pro Tools rig and some keyboards and too many guitars and stuff. And uh, lately I've been I've been really into like uh, learning how to play piano and messing around with keyboards and drum pads cool. and stuff. And uh, and that's going to make you learn even more cool new chords. That's that's what then I'm you, saying. Then you, then you learn the chord that you really like on a certain synth that you use or a piano, and then uh, you go, yeah. so what does it sound like when I do that one on the guitar? And it changes your life. Yeah, so it's it's the best. So then, uh, so I transposed those chords to piano, was messing around, uh, found this strange little organ sound, and... Um, and I was playing the the exact riff that I wrote that sounded like Nirvana five minutes ago, and then transposed it over to the keyboard, and it sounded like this weird kind of like Dr. Dreish beat. And then I uh, I put some put some drums around it, and then the song was kind of born from there. And it was just weird to like be like, oh, cool, like I want to write a song that sounds like aneurysm, and then. 20 minutes later, it's it sounds like some weird hip-hop shit that I've never written well, like before. Yeah, like that song. And, like, you know, I'm going to put a link to that song uh, in the show notes and uh, everybody can hear how different aneurysm is from off and on. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Especially that song. <laughs> yeah, that's that, but that's, that's really cool. So with that, since you're getting inspiration from things like, you know, like, I always, it's not like, you know, for... Um, an off and on song, you're getting inspiration from a band that kind of, you know, you've modeled off and on and off of. Um, so when you do something, how, and you have these three different projects, how do you figure out which song goes to which home? See, that's weird. Um, I, I get asked that question a lot, and it's mm-hmm. it's hard to answer because there's a few different mindsets with it. Like, there will be... I feel like I'm I'm contradicting myself because I know people have asked me that before and I say like, oh, I never just sit down and say I'm going to write a song for this thing like or for this project, for Transit or for Mr. or for Off and On. But as I got older, that changed. There would hmm. be times when if I knew that we were working on a Transit album, I would be like, oh, I, I really need to take this this period of time that I have in my life and focus on writing Transit songs. And that's not to say if something else came out that um that wouldn't fit the mold that it didn't go to a different project but there will be times when i sit down and have that mindset like oh i need to write a mr song like it's time or like so it's it's either that mindset where i where i'm very conscious of it or it just kind of happens you know um yeah, I mean, I don't think that there has to be any rules but i'm curious if you see any correlations in it yeah i mean it it depends on the point in time. It depends on like where I'm at with a record cycle, like where 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 I am in life at that point in time. But um, I think I think that's what I like about it. And I'm I'm a strange person in a way. Like um, I remember like when I was a kid and I was learning how to play guitar and like I was the one 
person out of my group of friends who who played guitar. And I remember, like, my best friend and a few of my friends would always, they would poke fun at me and make fun of me. And they'd be like, oh, dude, you never play a song. You just, like, know how to play, like, parts of these songs. And it's weird mm. because mm. with the extreme amounts of ADD that I have, every time I sit down and play guitar, I never play something that I've already written. I'm, anytime I pick up a guitar, I'm always... My natural instinct is just to write. Huh. And you, you know what's funny? That, that was very similar to me. It's like, you know, like a lot of my friends would always say, like, you never sit down and play somebody else's song. I'm like, yeah, that sounds really boring about it. I'd rather figure out something new. Exactly, yeah. And it, it started like that when I was younger, and then now that I'm older, it's like, it's just my obsession with creating music. And every time I sit down, I... I try something new and that's why I, I sit here and I look at my computer right now and I go through my iTunes and I have like uh, 40 songs that are just waiting for a bridge <laughs> yeah so and you segged perfectly into my next uh, question so one of the things I've always really respected about you is how much writing um, you do so you're talking about in the morning you kind of just write when you obviously when you're not on tour, but I've even seen you make posts where you're like you're writing on tour and you guys are in a hotel room for a day and you've posted up. But I'm some people need to get inspired. Some people need to like get their heart broken or for me, like to, to start writing, like I see a great movie and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my God, I have to write articles. I have to be this inspiring. This is amazing. Are you clocking in each day? Just like, yeah, I have to write. This is what I do. I'm a musician. I have, I have to write each day or. Do you need to get inspired? Like, is there ever a point where you're like, shit, I'm not inspired and you have to do something to get inspired to write? Or are you just like, you know what, I'm going to sit here until something comes out? What's your process with that? So it's a combination of the two because um, when I was growing up, like, uh, music was always a huge part of me. But when I went to school and uh, and I, I went to college for about a year and a semester and I was trying to figure out what the hell I wanted to do with my life and I kept changing my major... And then I realized I just needed to drop out and play music for a living because it was the only thing that really fulfilled me. Um, I don't even know if that makes sense. Fulfilled me. That makes total sense. Okay, I wouldn't be self-conscious. Everything you're saying sounds great. Okay, thank you. Well, it, it was the only thing that made, made me feel right. It was the only thing that I was 100% confident that I could do and that I could be the best at doing, and um, at, least, at least in my own eyes. And um, so when when I got to that point in time and I dropped everything else to focus on it, then began the insane obsession where I don't feel comfortable as a person living my life if I didn't take time out of that day to work on something music related. It's just like this. It's just this weird little thrive in me that just never goes away. Like I I have to do it, or I feel like I'm not contributing to the human race like I'm not yeah I feel it's just it's kind of like this weird obsession with the productivity that I have and um I just I need to do it every day or else I don't I don't feel comfortable so yeah and I just I never really got to get get that out of my head so uh, but then on top of that like I I always always have to be writing so like at home always love it because I have I have more time I have my setup on tour even more so because I just got to a point in life where it was just like I, I can't just like start drinking at three in the afternoon every day and play the show. And stuff. No, I, I hear you. I, I, I can't. You know, working. I'm a. I, I will. I'm a very proud heavy drinker. I think people shouldn't be ashamed of if they drink. But I, you know, I can't drink until I've had a ten hour workday. Mm-hmm. 
like I just can't do it. Sammy, I mean, that's, I'm, I, to be honest with you, I'm having a glass of wine right now. But yeah, I I'm started. You know, we're talking at midnight, and I wor- I worked ten hours and moved furniture into a new apartment today. <laughs> you deserved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just like uh, I um yeah I just love it and I need it. And then, but on top so, of it, so I, I want a quick tangent though. Were you always able to work this hard, or did you have to learn to work this hard after a while? Was this like something that came natural to you, or did you build up to your work ethic now? Um, I definitely, it, it's been a growing process. I've always, I don't know, I think ever since I was a kid, like just the way I was raised and stuff from like a real Irish Catholic family, like I've, I've always had good work ethics, whether it was applied to music or not. So I, I think it's just like that imprinted into my head that I have to apply to what I what I am. You know what I mean? I, I, I think you know when people think of like work ethic and things that are taught. Um, Boston, Massachusetts, Irish Catholic work ethic. I think those words are like have been in sentences four million times in the lexicon of humans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that makes sense. Yeah, but uh, no, I love it, and I, I I love that that's there in me. And um, so yeah, I guess. It was always there, but I have I have learned that I need to, especially on tour. Tour was was a thing where I needed to learn to make sure that I I had some sort of mobile rig with me, or that I would at least take the time to sit down. And we're very blessed nowadays to have things like like my MacBook, or like just to even be able to have a smartphone where I can have a voice memo on it. That I, I live by that thing. I, I record ideas on it all day. Like whether if if somebody ever came across the thousands of voice memos in my phone and listened to them, they would think that I belonged in a psych ward because it's just like... <laughs> well, so, see, so I have bad news for you. The way technology is going is like somebody is going to eventually have so much dot-com money and Transit was going to be their favorite band growing up and they're going to try to buy those from you in about 30 years. Nobody's going to And then you, maybe you'll have some dot-com money, <laughs> money from all that insanity. Yeah, I doubt it, but maybe. Uh, so, 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 but you did touch on something that I think is interesting to get into too is that... So when I met you, you didn't write into a laptop. You didn't have this. And you talk about how grateful you are. And, like, I have this picture on my – on the Facebook for the studio that, like, is a joke of, like, you know, like, when I used to make music, like, you know, like, my first music computer, I could get two vocal tracks and it might actually record them and play them back. And I had to play everything back with samplers when I was first making music and, like – it was hell. It was like that, and that's how I had, was able to write until I got into a studio with a tape machine. And you're very grateful for the tools you have, but so you didn't always write with those. You didn't grow up. I imagine you're very grateful for them now, but is there anything that you noticed, and have you ever like gotten to a point where you're like, you know, I missed this part about you know, when we were writing our first or second record and we were just in the basement writing together, I was coming in with this thing from memory or something I couldn't do. Is there anything that you've hearkened back to from an old part of your process that used to happen? I think that I would finish a lot more songs. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I didn't have a way to uh, to document every little, little idea, uh-huh. I think I'd have a lot less material, but I think I'd finish a lot more songs because I would, uh, I remember being younger and just like, that one song was everything. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. like I'm working on this song. Like I I can write a song. That's fucking sick. You know what I mean? Like so like you had that. It was always one at a time. You know. And then it's actually funny because I was doing some cleaning yesterday and it's sitting right next to me. But I have an old uh, an old uh, Tascam little uh, little four track recorder that I would mm-hmm. I would when I was like 12, 13 years old I would demo songs and just like uh onto onto like cassette tapes and stuff and it, i remember yeah, just like that's how I, I started too yeah I would, I would spend months on one song because it was like 
doing like the guitar and you'd have to play it over and over and over to make sure it was perfect because I was 12 and sucked at guitar and then like <laughs> and then just like try to sing over it and I absolutely couldn't do that so I just remember like how special every single song was you know and I, I, not that not that I lost that like I it's just, um, I guess, well, I mean, I guess... Yeah, getting, is there any, like, lesson that you, you, you've you gained from either of those perspectives? I would say I, I like the way it is now better because I am very fond of chasing ideas. And that's why I, I get so, so hung up on always, like, voice memoing stuff. Like, even if it's just me humming into a phone while I'm driving or something. Like, mm. I'm I'm very, very into chasing ideas because I think... Because I've had situations before where I've had an idea, like a little melody or something or a little lick and been like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Like, I'll totally remember it. Like, I can't wait to work on this. And then it's just gone, you know? Yeah. And and, and of course, we all sit and think like, you know, it's like really funny. It was like there was like a Madison record I was doing like eight years ago. I still have this vocal melody that I was sure was the best vocal melody. It still eats me up that I didn't record it. And it's like been like eight or nine years now. Yeah. And it's kind of a thing, too, where... um, I've been in situations, I'm sure you probably have too, where it's like you have that cool little riff that you wrote and you're like, oh yeah, that's sweet. And then you sit down and try to play it and you can't remember it. And then when you actually do probably figure out what it was, it still doesn't feel right. Yes. You know? Totally. Like you never know for sure if it was actually what it was before, you know? So, so the moral of the story is record your idea and record it clearly in detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I love, I love that. But, um, one other thing I wanted to say before it yeah. slips my mind was, um, like, how you asked about if it was more so just, uh, like, j- just every day sitting down to write or if yeah. or looking for inspiration. I think with time and learning all those things from, like, back when I didn't have a computer or back when I didn't know all these things about the way I wrote, I think it's now I'm at a point where it's a combination of the two. Because I know that I'm capable of working on music every day, but I'm always trying to find ways to push that envelope, you know? And I think that's where the inspiration comes in, is you try to find new ways to push your brain and new ways to to come up with ideas, whether it's not like I get into focusing on lyrics for a week and doing a lot of reading and trying to get into the mindset of a writer or or if it's trying to to really like do some sampling this week and chop up some vocal tracks and do stuff like that it's just uh it's a way of finding the balance with me it's a way of finding a balance with with the productivity mixed with always changing inspirations and combining it all together and i but so so what about emotions cuz like this is the one thing like i i find interesting is like so i'm a good amount older than you and i can remember when we were doing Keep This to Yourself and Something Left Behind, I was so happy. I was in this great relationship. Or actually, I think I was single during Keep This to Yourself, but I'm pretty psyched, but I'm single usually. And, um, yeah, it was fun. Um, and uh, then we do Something Left Behind, I'm, like, literally falling in love with this girl. Yeah. And so, But, like, some of those songs were so sad. I'm like, I don't got time for this. <laughs> and... Um, it's we really like, funny. We like my last breakup, I like tab. went back to those songs a lot, and like you know, I felt the emotions of them. And I finally like got in. Like you guys are known. Like you know, there's kids tumbling their sad little feelings of like your lyrics and your songs and the emotions you put out into this world. How much of that emotion, like you know, so like we're talking about how you're like you're just writing every day, but like 
Are you, when you're happy, able to write a sad song? And when you're sad, are you able to write a happy song? Or is, like, your personal being coming out a lot in that with your regimen? See, that's a weird thing. Is um, it, It's different because when I, when I am in a situation where where I'm going through a bad point in life, like, and, and I'm really upset, like, it, it is very, very easy to write sad songs. Or if I'm really happy, it's easy to write happy songs. But then... It's it's also just kind of letting what comes out come out, and I think that's where it like back to where we started the conversation. Like I don't I don't like I don't like to sit down and try and do something. I like to let it happen. You know what I mean? And it's weird how sometimes those cross over. Like sometimes at the same time, like if you if you're in a very bad point in life, for me, sometimes I need to write a happy song because that's that's what's important for me because that's what makes me feel better. You know. But, um, I, I, I think that's an interesting point that people don't touch on a lot. I was um, talking to you about it with this girl I was dating the other night of that. Like, um, I'm actually like um, sometimes an opposite music listener. Yeah. When I'm most depressed, like I have to put on Katy Perry as loud as I can. Oh, yeah. And like not a ballad Katy Perry. I'm talking like last Friday night. Oh, like I need yeah. to put on and, like I think people don't always get into that of that. Like it's not always about comfort. And yes, this pe- person's feeling the same way. It's like sometimes you have to. You know, it's all brain chemicals. Yeah. Sometimes you have to fuck with that serotonin level. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, that for a person like myself, like music not only is is my career, it's it's my life. So it it is my number one form of therapy. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. it's the thing that it's the only thing that can really make me feel better, you know? And when I have to throw all those fucking crazy things that I have going on in my brain into the same pot where it's my obsession with productivity, my obsession with trying to capture emotion in a song, it sometimes it needs to be happy if I'm fucking sad or else who knows what's going to happen to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, like, I think, I, you know, it's like that really funny thing of, like, um, you know, I read this great Mike Kinsella tweet, like, about a month and a half ago or something. Like, where he, was, he tweeted, uh, <laughs> he tweeted that great thing, he was like, uh, Holy shit, I just listened to all my songs. I must be fucking depressed. <laughs> it was just like, it was so good. Because, yeah, yeah, the guy's got a pretty fucking depressing catalog. But, like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, sometimes you're just writing to exercise that emotion or, like, to touch on the little bit of sadness in your life. You need to get that out, but, like, the happiness is fine. You don't need to exercise that muscle. And um, I think that's a really interesting thing and a great thing you kind of touched on is that it doesn't have to be that, but, um, I don't know, like, you know, for me, like, you know, there's even a thing of like, sometimes I just like, I hear a song that sounds like this and I'm like, I have to make a song like that. Or I like, you know, I saw this, um, movie dance of reality earlier this year. And I'm like, I need to, at some point of my life, make a statement this profound about the world around me. And like, yeah. and it just like, it drives me crazy every day. Like, do you have something that like you've heard recently or heard in your life where you're like, I have to do this now? Like, I mean, I, it's kind of a future question, but like, off and on's not like transit. Like, what's happening? Where, where'd you go? <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, um, I've I've gotten a, a very different. I've developed a very different taste in music over the past three or four years. And um, I mean, with transit, like, it's almost at a place now where I don't. The reason why transit was always changing is is because we were always getting older and getting into different things and stuff and um couldn't write what we wrote 
when we were younger. It'd be and like I'm I was yeah. at a point am at a point where I don't listen to music that sounds even remotely like any of the bands we play with, any of the bands people think we sound like. It's just the way that I can't help what I like, you know what I mean? It's just like the way that I grew up and the stuff that I like to listen to. And I'm kinda like uh I don't know, I've been really into um into I've been getting into like vocal sampling and like uh like almost in a way where like uh so so who's inspiring you in that vocal sampling so people can understand? Because I think a lot of people aren't going to get what vocal sampling is, but if you could talk about some the things you listen to that you like of that, maybe people will understand it. Uh, it's kind of like like old school hip-hop stuff, how, how a lot of those beats are made from um, just like taking even older music, like uh, like music from the 50s and 60s and chopping them up and and putting them on a keyboard and making beats out of that was something... That I started to learn, and I, I started when I when I learned that I started to uh, to want to do that with like my own voice rather than take somebody else's song. Like I would run a like like sing something really weird into a microphone, and then just chop it up and change the key a bunch and try and make music out of that. Mm-hmm. And then, or or and even further than that, do it with guitar. Like just play a little riff. And I've been I've been doing stuff like that, just kind of trying to. Um, I just have this. The the older I get, I have this this uh, another obsession of mine of of doing something that nobody's done before. Like some uh-huh. of my favorite bands in the world uh, that I think like made the biggest mark are are people like The Clash, like people like yeah. like any like The Clash, like Rage Against the Machine, like just bands that that do things. The reason why they, they get as big as they are, and the reason why they leave such an impact on the world are because they did something that nobody else ever did. But that yeah. but at the same time it was something that a lot of people could like, you know? So well, so so I think that there's a thing and like it's one of the things I've been like writing about in my new book a lot is um and you kind of even touched on this a little is that like first and foremost you have to make um, the music you want to hear and the yes. music you're interested in. You can't fake it. And like, just as you were saying, is like transit had to evolve because you guys were evolving and you couldn't just make stay home 14 times. Mm-hmm. And um, you need to make the music you want to hear and you need to keep pulling it in a direction towards how you're growing or else you just make terrible music. Like all those bands that try to just keep their sound and do it for a million records when they're not really that into it anymore, they just make terrible music no one wants to hear. But I think like what's the interesting thing with The Clash is like, you know, it's like this was a band that was always challenging themselves and always exploring and like infinitely curious and then also just amazing and skilled song craftsmen so they could make the music they wanted to hear and do something interesting like you know and make it palatable to everybody because they were such experts and i think that that's a really interesting thing with also like you talk about your regimen is like you're studying all this stuff you're working it out you're becoming an expert on this and you're trying to push it to a limit that's really interesting and forward um so with vocal sampling have we even heard though where this is going is this future off and on stuff or did you like feel like you were skimming a little of the surface on that ep i know that there's like some cuts and stuff but i like when my listens to that ep i don't feel like i've heard that yet so this is what you kind of are coming up with next yeah it's been everything since then is when i really really dove into it but uh just through through what we were saying before a little back, mm-hmm. backtrack a little bit um two two bands that came to mind when we were talking about the clash that that have really influenced me recently with with a lot of sampling and stuff like that are um, Radiohead, obviously, who's one mm-hmm. of my favorite bands ever. And and 
obviously their newer material, how they they just keep making music that sounds like nothing that has ever been created before. And actually, um, Fanagram is oh, a yeah, yeah. that I like uh, them a lot too. Yeah, yeah. Really, th- their I, records are are very very good. And I I actually got into them because Lord tumbled them. Yeah. <laughs> Thirty-six-year-old <laughs> yeah. man listening to the seventeen-year-old girl about what he should listen to. Oh yeah, they're, they're <laughs> fucking incredible, man. And uh, the sampling that that they do is is really really influential. Just um, just the music is it's from another planet. And uh, I read interviews with that guy, and that's where I did a little bit of my learning too, and a little bit of my research. Like he'd be talking about a specific song, and he would be like, "Oh yeah." I was listening to a bunch of Korean 50s rock and just like chopped it up and made this weird little beat and then the girl in the band wrote a bass line over it and that's where the song was born. And, huh. uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, the, the thing that I like about it is um, there's just endless possibilities, you know what I mean? And like... Yeah. I'm talking like... I, li- I like I like the idea of of taking uh, music that already exists and, and chopping it up, but I, I'm infatuated the, with the idea of of just playing a guitar or singing and doing the most unorthodox thing to it, and just taking that and chopping it up in the raw form that it is, and having that be your building blocks. Yeah, it's funny because, like, you know, obviously we're guys who came up in punk and rock and stuff, but, like, man, like, when you get into that stuff, like, you know, like, my one of my favorite bands is uh, Purity Ring, mm-hmm. and um, they do so much of that, and it's just, like, you know, just the idea that there's this, like, endless palette of things to do, like, you know, I, like, really love that Justice record from a few years ago, like, where they were, like, into that thing of, like, let's just sample one note, like, there's that song New Jack, and I heard the concept uh was it was like here's one note from every song we like and we'll turn it into a song yeah so cool it's just it's like you know that's a hell of a challenge and uh i think that's really cool and it makes me really excited to hear where you guys are going to go with this stuff yeah i'm I'm excited to show you i'm excited to to show people but um so yeah so it's a lot of that mixed with rock and roll and trying to because at the same time um like with the first ep we did it was it was really like dancey influence, like, but still wanted to have like the with a lot of keyboards, but still have guitars in there. And this time, trying to bring out a lot more of the sampling and a lot more creativity that from from a realm that trying trying to put our own twist on things that people have done, but bring them into a different room where I've never really heard personally what I'm trying to do and trying to do that, nice. but, but mix that with a lot more guitars and a lot like heavier guitars. So it's kind of like a, like a weird combination of the two of those, you know? So I, I think that's awesome. So, but one of the things I think is interesting is, and I know you and I talked about this, like, um, I think everybody forgets, like when people hear Radiohead, they're like, Oh my God, they're so weird. Mm-hmm. But if you take any of those weird songs and just play the chords on an acoustic guitar and sing it with a vocal, so it's a beautiful song. Yeah. And like, I think that that's like one of the interesting things too, is that I think there's so many, and like, maybe it's me getting old and getting alienated music, but like, you know, like I like it about Fantagram. I like it about like Jay Paul and purity ring of that. Like, yeah, I feel like it's the same thing as like, if you played a piano and just sang those songs, they're like fucking beautiful. But like, there's so many in the music that's lost today is that like, when you do do that, it's like, no, it's just a bunch of bells and whistles and stupid shit. Yeah. 
And I think that that's the big thing. Like, I think people don't get in that if you're going to try to push the envelope, you have to marry that thing of like this song works in a simple form and it works in a complicated form. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's finding just been another hard thing with me growing up, because like, as you know, like, especially at the point in in, uh, in my career, when we were doing records together, I would just sit down and try to write the hardest fucking thing I could play on guitar. <laughs> I would try and write the most complicated thing ever because that to me was was important. It, it had to be something that I guess it, it kind of encompasses the same mindset that I have now, but it had to be something that nobody else could play. You know, nobody else could play it the way that I could play it. And it had to be this like crazy sounding thing that that nobody else could touch. And, uh, and as you like, as I got older, like I, I uh I, I wonder how many times in this in this podcast so far I've said as I got older. Um, yeah, but that's fine. You're at that you're at that age where um, you do that. And trust me, um, <laughs> as somebody a lot older than you, you're going to say it even more. Oh God damn it! <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just like I had to because I I really really like pop music now. Like I grew to have a as I probably learned a lot of it from you. But uh, yeah, I, I love pop music and I love studying pop music and I, I love. Um, taking a pop music mindset and writing it with the music I write, you know? So it's, so it's kind of trying to find the balance of creativity and simplicity. Cause obviously when you, when you write music and you release music, like you want to do something that's special to do to something that's special to you, something that nobody else has done, but you also want a, a lot of people to like it, you know? Uh, agreed. And like, I think that's the thing is even just the studying pop music is like, I think that, like, people forget this. And I, like, I t- talked about this a little bit in my last book is that, like, you know, like, whether it's Mars Volta or Dillinger Escape Plan of all these challenging bands, is there's a pop sensibility there that they know when to pull from and when they don't. And, like, I think that's the thing with any forward thinking music. And, like, you know, I think Listen, Forgive was a very forward thinking, um, like, twinkly indie pop record. And, like, um, I think that people get really offended because we're all trying to rebel and like there's a big part of me that like I'm too old to rebel like obviously <laughs> like I'm fucking 36 like but like there is a big part of me that what I do have that's not rebellion is I'm just like you know there's a lot of stupid shit in this world there's a lot of shit that like is just so basic that it appeals to people who find the Kardashians interesting and like I want to take the th- take the thing that pushes it to that next level while still having a route that people don't get why it is like you know like um i was moving tonight and i heard that disclosure latch song on top 40 radio i was like wow like when i first heard that record i never thought top 40 because i didn't think anybody would be able to accept how crazy a song that is and it made me proud but they had such strong hooks and they had like a root in the pop form that they were able to bring that to people and i think that's the interesting thing is like the ba- I think one of the most challenging things in the world is that when you can balance progressive and pop at once, and that's the clash, that's disclosure, that's Lord, that's like everything I love in Absolutely. music. Absolutely, like, yeah. You know, that, I think that that's like the, you know, because you could be weird all you want, you could be super pop all you want, and it could have no feeling, but if you can do that, that changes everything. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say in... Uh... In, in, you said it, you said it in better words that's literally that's that's everything to me 
Uh, well, this is a lot of conversations you and I have had o- over time. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so I, I have a question. So the story with you and I is um, I was made aware of you through Man Overboard, who you were friends with, mm-hmm. and they gave me Stay Home, or I illegally downloaded it or something like that. Dude. Um, <laughs> and I went, wow, I fucking love this band. And then it turned out you guys wanted to work with me, and then I loved the records we did. And then the next stuff you guys did, it was like that thing of like a lot of people thought I'd be bitter, but I really, really, really fucking loved it. But there was such a big turn, and like you guys recorded that seven inch, and the name's escaping me now because I read it an hour before we did this, and then I decided to have a glass of wine. What was it called? Promise Nothing. That's it. So. And that, I mean, I, I actually think that that seven inch is a lot different than most of what you did even after. But like, so do you ever have a walk in with a concept of what you want to do? Or is it mostly like, do you get conceptual or is it just like you're having a constant evolution and you're like, yeah, well, this is just where I'm at and this is how it's going down. And that's just who I am. Or is it like you sit down and say like, you know what? I want to go more in this direction. It's time to do this. I would definitely say that it weighs heavier on the latter. It's definitely, I I take pride in in uh, in the whole. This is where I'm at. Like this is what it's going to be. I I don't like to be like, hey, we need to write a record like this because that's what we need to do. Because what it's going to sell records or well, I'm not talking about sell records. Like I'm more saying like, let's say. You and I both love that 1975 record. Mm-hmm. So, like, five years ago, if you asked me what type of band I'd want to be in, I'd say Mew. Five years before that, I'd say Lifetime. Yeah. You know, and, like, so ten in that 10-year span, that'd be a pretty fucking bad drift if I was a recording artist right now. <laughs> like, my fans would be pretty pissed off. At yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, like, I'm not saying as conscious of, like, fans. Like, I know you make the music you want to hear, but, like, do you ever sit down and say, like, you know what? Like, I've been really feeling X. I feel like this is where we need to take this, or is it more just, like, it just keeps coming out? It's definitely more it just keeps coming out, but I would say... Less on an album or a release level, more so on a specific song that would happen. Hmm. It could it could happen occasionally where it's like, hey, like I think this song should be more of this vibe. Like, hey, I think this song should take a turn to kind of encompass this rather than that. You know what I mean? Like, like it needs to be. <clears throat> that's actually a good example with the 1975 because I feel like. A lot of people are very influenced by them right now. Like, say, like, oh, this song that we have that's kind of, it could go either way right now. Like, I think it should be more <clears throat> 1975 rather than Jimmy World. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> I think there are definitely, I think that's something that comes when you're into, like, a pre-production area. Or if you're, like, finishing up writing an album and you have a song that isn't really 100% or isn't on par with the songs that you know are strong on the album and you need to, like, find a way to bring it new life, I think that that's definitely where there comes a time where things like that are important. So you just touched on something, too, that I wanted to get to. So you write a lot of songs. What's the process of figuring out uh, who gets supported, who gets given birth to make it really crass? (laughs) Well, you got to discuss it with the girl, you know. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's just, uh, that's, that's why I try to write so many songs. And I try to never 
stop writing songs. And uh, something I wanted to say earlier that I can't, after everything we've talked about, I can't let this not be said was, um, I know I've told you this before, was one of the most important things somebody ever said to me was, uh, which was really, really influential on me, especially because I was growing up and this was a person whose album I got tattooed on my arm the day I turned 18. And uh, with the way things went in my freaky life, I, I was able to be on tour with this person was Chris Conley from Saves the Day when me and him in a group of people would would sit down and have talks about music while we were on tour together. Um, he said to me once when we were talking about writing and talking about writing a new album, he was like, just with how awesome and uh, and spacey and and laid back he is with talking about music always, he was like, you can never... What exactly did he say? He said, don't ever turn your back on your music or your music will turn your back on you. And we were oh. talking about how we can never stop writing because when you do the second you do it's not going to be there for you you know like once you i think that's when people put themselves in situations where they get writer's block or they they don't yeah oh that's such a good way to put it because i say this all the time is i tell bands they have to write on tour yeah you got to it's so important it's funny i was telling this to the knuckle puck guys before they went out on tour with you guys yeah it's i was like you have to write the whole time no matter what you do sit in the van and play your fucking acoustic guitar while one person's sitting in the backseat someone sing over it work on it discuss it find who you are yeah well it's i think that tour is is a tool that that everybody should use for writing because for me, it's it's such a huge thing because even if you've been to the city like ten to fifteen times already, like you, there you're in a place where you've never been before, and you're you're able to learn place things about this new place. You're able to meet people you've never met before. Like if you're looking for influence, like everything is right there. If you're looking for inspiration, like you're in a new world. You're completely out of your element, and I think that's that's what it, what I loved learning from touring was that. Writing on tour was was the easiest because, and also you're just like a weird hobo. You have nothing else to do, you yeah. know. Like you might as well pick up a guitar and write some songs. Like it's 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 awesome. I find the most influence writing on tour because there's just so much mystery. You know, there's just so much there you don't know. Um, and you touched on something great with tour too. Is talk about what the other bands do like the best way to bond with other bands is like let's get deep let's talk about all this stuff you and i are talking about right now like i think so many bands miss out of that like the van is a great time to put your headphones on and start working um and then also when you're off the show is like you know like you know obviously you're lucky enough that you got to be with chris and you know chris is a friend of mine and i would say in the people who are creative geniuses I've known in my life. He's one of there's so many creative geniuses who are bad at talking about their creative genius, and Chris uh, is great he's at the it. Best. And you, you, you know, a shining light of a human being. But um, what do you call it? Um, I think that's the thing. Is like you should you know this is all. I think bands don't see tour as what it always is. It's not just about promoting your record. It's like it's about a time where you can be doing concentrated creative growth and. You know, learning from mentors. You're the opening back band on a thing. Like, learn everything you can from those people. And um, I think that that was such a great story that, that like, 
You know, you're talking to Chris about songwriting. You have your, his fucking lyrics tattooed on you. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's I, awesome, I, 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 will, I will agree that there's like so, sometimes like you have those embarrassing moments, but like somebody like Chris, who fi- he finds that stuff so flattering and he's so humble. Oh, yeah, he was like some people are fucking assholes about it. Sure. I totally didn't want to show him. And then like two weeks into the tour, uh, I like walked into their dressing room and just like out of nowhere, the guitar player Rune, who's a good friend of mine, he was just like, "Hey, Chris, you see this?" and just lifted up my arm. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great because that's what I would have totally done to you if oh, I yeah, introduced you to Chris. Yeah. Well, I remember even the thing of like when I looked at you one day, I was like, "You look like Chris." But no offense to Chris, but better looking. Um, <laughs> you, you were so weird. Uh, you're so. Let's go. Let's get. Let's get a little bit about uh, criticism. Um, Listen and forgive was like one of those records. Like every critic, like you know, jerked off on it all night and day. And then a lot of those same critics didn't do the same thing about Young New England. Mm-hmm. How did it affect you? Um, see, I don't. I. It was always like everybody that that works for your band and stuff like always just tells you not to like talk about this. But for me. I never had a problem. Wait, wait, they tell you to not talk about it? Well, no, yeah, they. T- I worked for your band. I never would have told you that. Yeah, well, you <laughs> I used to be your manager. I would, I would say, yeah, be honest about it. And like, actually, I should preface it with this: I saw you doing one of the smartest things I've seen anybody do on Twitter, which was saying to fans, "I'm sorry you feel that way" when they didn't like it. And I thought that was really interesting because it showed a respect to the fan. And if I was your fan and I was a 17 year old girl, I'd say, "Fuck, that was so fucking cool." Can't wait to hear their next one, and hopefully they do well. Whereas if you wrote back to me like so many dumb bands do, it went, "Well, fuck you, you fucking moron," or whatever dumb thing bands do all the time. When somebody says something bad about them on Twitter, you've burned a bridge, and you're never getting that bridge back, even if you wrote the greatest record on earth. See, I I, I hate that. I don't like that at all. And I think that everybody is obviously entitled to their opinion. And um, uh, on a fan level, I appreciate more than I could ever communicate to anyone how much it means to me that anybody respects music that I like. Anytime, like, I get weird talking to people at shows, like, I don't even like calling them fans. Like, that makes me feel yeah. like a dickhead, you know? Like, I, that's, like, a re- that's a really good point, and, like, something I struggle with writing a book called Get More Fans is, like, I really, I didn't think people would get it when I wanted to say, get more peers. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, is, like, that's, I want to write music that people that, like, I would want to hang out with listen to. You know what I mean? Because, like, mm-hmm. I, I want to write music that I want to hear. And that's why, like, anytime I talk to somebody at a show that's like, oh, dude, like, love your record, like, change my life or something, like, I feel like they're lying to me. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, mm. like, it's weird. So I just have well, the... But at the same time, you've had the experience of getting to ha- hang yeah. out with somebody whose records changed your life. Yeah. Like, and I think that's, that's the thing is, like, I think people, you know, there's those pedestals of these things, but, like... It's an interesting thing of like, yeah, we're just all trying to get on a common level. But there's like a, a converse thing with that of that. I think one of the most torturous things for an artist is that you like, you know, like. So, for example, if you're Radiohead, you're kind of writing for people who are 10 steps below you intellectually most of the time. And there's some people who are maybe four steps below. But that's your like best case scenario most of the time. And then sure, you get some great people like Mikel Godry might come to your show and he really loves your band and you're on the same intellectual with them. But 
nine times out of ten, these are fucking idiots. Yeah. And they're people you're not really relating to. And the reason they relate to you is because you're so much better. Like, you know, like, I always think there's this thing about Kurt Cobain is that he felt five times more of the pain than all of us, that we all feel his pain so immensely when we hear it coming out of speakers because we're like, wow, that's pain I've never heard before. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's wild. So, so, but to get to that, I also do, though, do understand your thing of like, you're like, well, I get to hang out with my, my peers, so let's be friends and let's, you know, share this bond of what I'm doing. Yeah, and, and that's why, I mean, I guess I was trying to preface the whole criticism thing with that. It's like I have the utmost respect for anybody that that supports what I do. As I burp and say that. Dude, dude, that was the most coy burp. I was really impressed. I'm like, I have to learn how to do that. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I just, you know, like, I'm more than thankful for that. Like, I would never, ever, like, be in a situation if somebody wrote a bad review and be like, oh, like, publicly want to be like, oh, fuck them. Like, that's just not me. But um, it, it really, like, when, for a person like me, like, like, like we talked about this whole time for the past hour, like, Music is everything to me, and the songs that I write are literally that I write are what gets me through the day. Like it's it's my therapy, it's my life, it's my obsession, it's it's what I do. It's it's one hundred percent who I am. So when you put an album out, when you write an album, I I put one hundred and ten percent into it. Like it's it's everything mm-hmm. to me, and it's it's very special to me. It's it's my life, you know. Like I literally dedicate my life to the album that I'm writing. Like where I have a huge emotional connection to every song, a huge, I don't know, you're just very, very, very connected and, and partial to it. So, and I'm the type of person where I get way too obsessed with that. And mm-hmm. I, I read the reviews because I, yeah. I, I want, I actually, I, I see, this is the thing is I think anybody who says they don't read the reviews, I think they're an idiot. Um, I think you reading bad reviews of my work has been some of the most helpful stuff to motivate me to, Learn criticism, learn what I should take for this when somebody's being an asshole, when somebody's not being an asshole, when I've been right, when I've been wrong, and learn from it and become a better artist. Yeah, that's what's really important is is to learn how to learn from it because mm-hmm. it it hurts, you know? Like when you get a yeah. bad album, like when you get a bad review of an album, like tearing apart the album because the, the, the listener, the, the reviewer didn't like it, like it's like somebody like... How could you even say it? it's like somebody taking a picture you drew and just like taking a piss on it? You know, like yeah, it's like yeah. it's but at the same time, they're very entitled to their opinion and they're only doing their job because that's what they love to do is to write about music. So they it's it's what they do. There's nothing wrong with that. But to me, like it, it hurts. Like when when we put out Young New England and we would get bad reviews of it, like I was really I was really upset. I didn't know what to do. I kind of entered a dark place because. I had spent the last however long it took writing and recording it, like eight, six to eight months. Like I had, that was my life. I lived it. I believed in it. And there was, it was very different. And there were some things that uh, didn't exactly go the way we planned on it. So I was very, very, very nervous and very self-conscious about putting it out. And when there was negativity coming back at that, it kind of sent me, Okay, so 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 let's back up though. So you're talking about during the process, there were some things that you weren't comfortable with. Not that I I out of everyone uh, had the best experience recording that record. Uh, the the guy who produced it, Ted Hutt, and I vibed really well. Um, the way that he records music and the way that people who 
like transit, listen to music and the music they like are very, very different things. Hmm. So I think so. So can you expand upon that? I'm I'm curious. I vibed with Ted really hard because he was super into songwriting. He was super into the arrangement of the songs and the parts of the songs and the way they made you feel and the way that this bridge sent you to the next part and how everything needs to be exciting and and uh, and just keep you moving and stuff. And uh, he didn't really he didn't give a shit about production. He didn't care about like cleaning up a vocal part or or doing a vocal double or doing a harmony here. He cared about the song being rocking. That's what he would say. It's, it's rocking. Hmm. He, that's what he cared about. He cared about making an awesome song and just capturing it like the band was playing it in the room. And I love that. And working on that album, I, I had a blast doing that. Like that, that album to me, when I listened to it, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like us playing mm-hmm. in the room. And, um, but I, I know... And I guess that's where my nervousness came from before we put it out. I know that that's not what a lot of transit fans wanted to hear because they're used to to a cleaner sound and used to a uh, like a like some more production and and some cleaned up vocals and stuff like that. And it, it wasn't that. And um, like there was even the way when we finished the album, like uh, Ted was supposed to mix it too. And uh, we just we ended up having Gary mix it because we weren't uh, a lot, we couldn't all come to an agreement on it, which um, which was a weird thing too, you know. But um, hmm. yeah, it was yeah. But you know, making records is a lot of improvisation. Yeah. Like I think that's that's one of the things that's also lost to the public is like how often. You know, like here's a great example: is keep this to yourself. It was supposed to be done in something like I think we had like ten days of money because. You know, it was before Run for Cover was in a great place, and like, you know, and I think I ended up spending seventeen days and just going, "Fuck it, I'll work for a minimum wage to do it." <laughs> yeah, like, that's that's just what <laughs> happens sometimes. It's like you know, you say like, "Fuck it," like you change routes all the time, and uh, yeah, I think that that's so lost in the conversation of making records. Yeah, but and like I, I was, I think I'm the only one that feels that way about the record too. I know that. That other people in my band weren't weren't happy with a lot of the way that things went, and uh, that's okay. Like that, that's gonna happen. Yeah. You know, but uh, I, you know what? Um, I have fifteen hundred record credits now, and um, damn, I think dude. like a couple hundred of those are production. And I can't say that there's ever been a band I've worked with where all three to five members could say the same thing about how that record came out. So yeah, exactly. Every, <laughs> everybody happen. has a different experience too. You know, like it's. It's, yeah, that's just the way the world works. It's just the way that situations happen, you know. So, you wrote another transit record. Yes. What did you learn from it? What did you? How did Young New England affect the next transit record you wrote? Uh, it was just more incentive to write the greatest record we could write. You know. I think that that's a great thing, and I kind of. That's what I wanted to see happen, and like you know, I'm in a I'm in a funny place of that. Like, there's parts of Young New England I like. Um, I didn't think it was as good of a record that you guys could have made, and there was parts of the production I thought, you know, and I have the same thing. It's like you know, I I make the joke, um, you know, uh, after you've produced a band, whether you love them or not, it's like watching another guy fuck your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. It was it. funny because like you know, on Listen and Forgive, I feel like. Gary fucked her pretty good, but um, 
like it's like one of those bad portos you see on Pornhub. Wow, I'm getting way too TMI. Um, <laughs> Honestly, but like, no, you I, know, like I love love that record. Like I listen to Listen to Forgive all the time, but like I you know, there was a lot of things I wish were different on this, but um I'm curious what lessons were learned between those two records. Yeah, I honestly believe that uh, if we did the same exact recording process for uh, Listen and Forgive with Young New England, I think that a lot of people would have heard it differently. Hmm. So, 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 so expound upon that before you get to the question I just asked. I think it was, a, I think it was more of a production thing. I agree with you. From my standpoint, and I think that- I, th- I think I think a lot of the tones weren't what people wanted. Like a lot of people loved how clean the guitars got and um, twinkly and pretty it was up against Joe not being the most polished singer. I think people, you you guys were like the very rare case where I think like a lot of times um a lot of people put a polished singing against um, raw guitars to try to get their edge, and it was like almost like different. Yeah, I really liked that. Yeah, but also, thank you. But uh, at the same time, the songs wouldn't have been what they are. I think that Ted hmm. had a had a wonderful, wonderful hand on uh, on the songwriting of them. And I, I don't. So, sorry, go ahead. So, what did you learn? What did you learn from Young New England that you changed on this forthcoming record? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. So, but something changed. Come on. Like, I haven't heard the record, so I'm not saying, like, something changed. Like, I might have this foresight. Like, you know, you had to have some sort of process of when you watch an audience react. You didn't... I know you're making music for yourself, but, like, at the same time, like, you're talking about, like, yeah, we wanted to hit it out of the park. How? What did you think about on how you hit it out of the park? That's different. Um, I don't know. I just, like, I... <laughs> I, like, dug myself into this really, really big hole of just, like sitting and writing and writing and writing until I, I just spent, I, I literally just, we got home from tour and I dedicated 100% of my time to, to trying to write better songs than I'd ever written before because I felt like I didn't do my job good enough with the last record. And that's why it didn't, it didn't do amazing and it didn't, it wasn't received as well as it could have been. And uh, so I kind of just learned that, that I, I I needed I needed to get I needed to feel like I had written the best record that I could write and then also not feel like I I was short sighted on the other end I guess which which is a weird thing to say. So did you write more songs to have more songs to choose from? Did you put more time into the songs? I wouldn't show anyone anything or even let anything see the light of day unless I thought that it was one of the best things I had re- ever written. So you got more critical of yourself before you let the band see it. Yeah, that's what I learned. That's what I'm trying to get out of. <laughs> Sorry, I kind of hit a roadblock there. Yeah, no, no like you know, it's the, like I'm asking you tough questions because I know you and I are friends. And I can, and, yeah, and I kind of feel a little weird talking about it because yeah, I understand. It's not, it's not, it's not fun. But I think it's one of those things too that's like it's very interesting to everybody, and it's it's awesome. We all want to see your evolution. So with that, your evolution. Off and on. Um, so you write a whole record for a band, then you're now writing another EP for this band. It's EP, right? Yes. So As of right now. <laughs> what's 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 like? What's that gear shift look like? Like you know? So I imagine since it was in the same short time, you're being inspired by a lot of the same things, but it's so different. Like, what does your head do for that? Like, I just like. 
I can't do things like that. Like, I, you know, I, I, there's, time, there's times I'm producing a pop record, I'm producing this, but like for me, it's just like, so the pop band walks in the door and I just start listening to the pop music and then like the punk band walks in the door and I start listening to the punk music yeah, again and I yeah. get inspired. Well, I don't know. It's kind of, I'm definitely always, like what you're saying, like I'm always all over the place with the shit that I'm listening to. So it definitely, it my mind kind of plays into that. Like I can't help that. So that's, that's definitely where the sporadic like aspect of it comes in. But um, at the same time, like what, like we were just saying with the transit stuff, like I became so obsessed and wouldn't let myself go to sleep or wouldn't let myself leave my room until I had written something that I felt like was the best thing I had ever written. And I think that it literally exhausted me. And I think that what I needed to do for the first time that I had probably done in eight years of, of playing in transit, seven or eight years, I needed to literally make a conscious decision to be like, I'm not writing for transit right now. So hmm. I did that. That's and, interesting. Uh, and, uh, but at the same time, like I was, I was writing off and on material at the same time because there would be, like I said, like little, little influential things that I had. And, uh, I would just kind of chase them like that. And it, didn't even the off and on EP come out kind of like right as you were going into that writing cycle with transit or like during or something. Um, it was, it's hard to say, I think. <laughs> when did that? Uh, I'm judging this all by reading your social media, so and just being friends with you, so it's like it's hardest for me to say too. Yeah, but that was um it was kind of a thing where like we'd be working on uh Yeah, it was it was towards the end of finishing writing is mm -hmm. when that was was when that really came to life. Sorry, my my memory with things like that is just like so no, it's, it's it's hard. <laughs> we we got complicated lives these days. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's just, it's, it's very, very separate gears in the brain. And I, uh, I don't know, I was working on a lot of off and on material because it was these new things, like, like you said, like, it's very, very different from transit stuff or Mr. stuff. So it's, it was these new things that I, it was exciting for me to learn how to write music like this. So, uh, huh. so, um, that's why it was, it was happening on the side a lot. And uh, because I, I was I was eager to learn, like I I didn't know how to play piano, I didn't know how to sample, I didn't know how to use Pro Tools. Like that's a huge huge aspect of uh, of off and on too that I didn't mm -hmm. really touch on. Is I it was the first thing that I ever produced and recorded on my own because hmm. I, I didn't I never thought that I would actually get into that. I never thought that I would want to produce or um or learn how to use recording equipment. And uh, it just kind of happened. Like I, I bought a little setup to uh, <clears throat> to help with demoing or to help with uh, if I was at the studio with transit stuff to take stuff home to work on on my own. And uh, I just kind of really fell in love with it, which was something I never thought would happen. And um, through that, like I was learning all different plugins and learning, like messing around with drum drum samples and drum pads and stuff. And that's kind of where I really got into the whole off and on thing. And that's why, like I said, it was like an excitement to write this new kind of music because I was doing a lot of learning and I, uh, not being in school for a while, I, it was it was exciting to learn. And uh, that's why I really, really uh, had my heart set on it. And then it became this thing where, uh, it, like it was, a, like I'd always wanted to, I'd always discussed with, uh, with a few of the band members and off and on, like the kid who plays bass and has been my best friend since I was like 10 years old. Oh, and wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. He's literally like my brother. And um, the girl who uh, who's the main singer in it with me, Rosie, she, uh, me and her had always talked about playing music together. Like she's a, uh, she's a pretty established uh, 
musical theater actress and uh mm. like she's been in a bunch of she used to live down in new york city she actually just moved back here but uh she was in a bunch of plays that were off broadway like almost made it to broadway yeah i was gonna say she has a really like acoustically di- i can always notice the difference between a singer who's sang in big rooms and a singer who's sang mostly in studios and she has the voice of somebody who's sang in big rooms so that's really interesting to hear my ear confirmation yeah it's funny you can hear that yeah and she's- listen to me pat myself on the back yeah there you go <laughs> and uh yeah she's super super talented with that stuff so it's been great for us to actually get to uh finally get a project together and i think it was just all those things coming together with me being excited to learn and me being excited to be back with my friends. And then Justine came into the mix, who has always been a good friend and it's always a person I respected musically. And it was just a lot of excitement. So I kind of like uh, really dove into it. And that's how my mind like didn't really have any problem jumping back and forth with it. It was it was it was easy because it was different. and It was this new, new fun thing for me, you know. So tell me how. So you write the core of an off and on song, maybe on your laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, then what happens after you take it to a band? What does what the rest of the band do with it? Because I, I think that this is this is something I actually wanted to talk to you about with about all your bands, but we're running out of time. So I always know that we're going to talk again one day on one of these things. So absolutely, but I want to because you're like in the middle of off and on right now. I want to do off and on. So tell me what happens. You get done with the demo. You play it for the band. Tell me how it ends up. Yeah, it's actually it's kind of an interesting to talk, interesting thing to talk about because um, the way that we are a band is very very unorthodox. Like we, and it's it's exactly the way that the band was born. We would uh, me Rosie and Ryan would get together and we would uh, either Rosie or I would have this song idea that was either just like her singing over an acoustic guitar track or me having this weird little like vocal melody and beat. And so we'd have these ideas and then the song would be built around that idea and it would be built while building it in a recording session. So we would be writing it, recording it simultaneously and building this song, like almost like you're like more so than ever, like because I'm used to growing up and playing in a band where it's just you somebody has a song idea and then you bring it to a room and it's five guys playing it like just just rock and roll you know and it was more of a building like you were painting a picture like doing it in a recording session and just building this song like that piece by piece and then the funny so do you guys write more together you're saying or do you come up with an initial idea and then you bring it to them like explain that a little more maybe we, we skipped over a step okay so it's more so with off and on it's more so like uh Sometimes there will be situations where we've written songs all together, but predominantly it will be me writing a song. And then I will bring everybody else in and be like, hey, I need your input here. Like, what do you think of this? Let's add this over it. Let's get your vocals here. Let's add this new melody here. We'll, we'll, uh, like the, the, the outline will be there and then we spice it all up together. Or the opposite with Rosie, she'll, another way we write songs is she'll just send me like a voice memo of her playing acoustic guitar and have this song where it's just like just acoustic guitar and vocal and I'll take that and transpose it to a keyboard and then it will become something very very different and I'll like send her like a verse and chorus and be like hey is this cool or should I stop <laughs> and then like <laughs> we'll just kind of work on it together from there so it it starts it starts small and then just builds together you know and then the weird thing about us is it's the opposite of how I grew up in playing music because we will build these songs 
and we'll make them these masterpieces and then we'll be like, all right, cool. Well, now it's time to take it to the room and jam it. And yeah. Then, and then it's <laughs> like, okay, so you're going to play this and then I think you're going to play this and it's like, it's like the opposite, you know? Right. I, I, I love that dynamic because it was so never possible until now. <laughs> I mean, there, you'd hear bands kind of like writing it in the studio a little bit and like, you know, like, um, but like it's it's something that's more prevalent. Like, yes, it was possible before, but now it's like it's getting popular. And I think it's so interesting. And um, I think it's making people write in a different way. And like, I know a lot of people are down on music today, but I'm the opposite of that. If I think fucking music's cooler than it's ever been. And uh, yeah, music is tight. Yeah, and like I, I think that's awesome that you guys are doing that. So, thank you. One day we're gonna speak more about. I want to compare all your creative processes and go through the years, but we're gonna do that on a future episode. Um, dude, it was awesome, awesome to do this, and I, I was so psyched on this conversation. Um, off and on is that we are. That's an A R E for those of you who aren't able to spell properly. Off and on dot com. Um, <laughs> Your Twitter is Terrence Timothy? Yeah. T-E-R-E-N-C-E. Anything else you want to plug? Um, no, nah, I mean, just to be on the lookout for new new off and on music should be coming very soon that we're working hard on. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much for doing this. Turn every shit off.